and welcome back to another episode of Poetry Pals. I'm Megan. And I'm Sophie. And today we will be extending our current to canon segment to almost a current to current segment. (laughs) Um, So we're looking at Harry Potter again, and this time we're going to be connecting Harry Potter to current social issues that um, students can actually see in the real world. And I think one of the most amazing things about teaching literature is that literature, whether it's fictional or not, is an extension of the world. And you can see a lot of real life um, moments and issues through literature. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think especially with younger students and even often with older students, starting with a text that is separate from them can make it easier to talk about um, difficult issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be specifically talking about um, marginalized figures in Harry Potter today and kind of a discussion of that and then how you can talk with students about how this connects to um, real marginalized people in the real world. Um, and I think this would be especially fun, like, if you have control over, like, electives in your school. This could be such a cool elective. You yeah. could spend an entire semester on this type of thing. Yeah. I mean, like you said, when students are able to look at these topics through something that's not directly related to them, but it's also something they can connect with. I mean, you can do so much with it, and they could really dig into it. Yep. Um, So to begin, uh, we're going to give a little background and then just talk through things. Um, So obviously throughout Harry Potter, the main conflict is between Harry and the good guys versus Voldemort and his Death Eaters, who are the bad guys. But there are all these smaller conflicts that almost kind of get brushed to the side, but are a huge part of the war that goes on throughout the series and just um, life and society in general throughout it. So we have like purebloods and muggleborns, which are blood status um, within wizards. We have wizards and muggles, which we went into really um, in depth in the last episode, if you're interested in that. And then we have humans and creatures, and more specifically, uh, wizard humans, and then creatures. And a lot of these creatures are referred to as monsters. Um, and we have these various groups like um, goblins, house elves, centaurs, giants, acromantula, people, And those are um, specifically creatures that have the power of speech. And there's a huge issue throughout the series about, like, if these creatures are near human, do we count them as humans? Um and this especially becomes a big issue in book five when we have Dolores Umbridge, who is the <laughs> epitome of all that is horrible. Ugh. And she talks to the centaurs and calls them creatures of mere human intelligence. And it's super insulting to them. I was thinking about that just now. That scene just popped into my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll get a little more into it. But a lot of readers of Harry Potter speculate that um, – specific groups um in harry potter are representative of real groups of real marginalized groups of people Mm -hmm. in the world um and so we're going to get into that a little bit later um so all these groups of creatures actually take sides um in the overall war harry versus voldemort um which is interesting to see how that plays out um and it brings up the question are these groups really that different um, the separation between these groups in Rowling's physical world 
um, and the power they hold in the magical society is starkly different. And this is very similar to the real world at present. We have all these groups all with different statuses and amounts of power that they hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see throughout the Harry Potter series, and this is a claim that we're making, that J.K. Rowling actually uses these marginalized figures um, to demonstrate the ambiguity of people's moralities. And you'll see in every single group in Harry Potter – no, no group is all good and all bad. No. Um, every, like, different people or creatures within a group um, have differing moralities. Um, and one really clear example of this that we're going to talk about in depth is werewolves. Um, what um, the overall message is, is that, like, what these people choose to do with their power or lack of it determines which side they support. Um, and so... Like we said, no one is all good or all bad. Um, so we have this kind of there's there's these attempts to define like what distinguishes a monster from a human, and there's no real clear line. Mm-hmm. Um, and one uh, another a more relevant um, extension of the Harry Potter series right now is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and in the book. Um, version of that that came before the movie we have Newt Scamander attempt to define it Um, and he says that it's caused controversy for centuries and uses the example of werewolves how they spend most of their time as humans but once a month they transform into savage creatures um, with murderous intent and no human conscience and he even notes that um, some extremists in the wizarding world um, campaign for the classification of muggles as beasts which is so interesting when we look into um wizards versus muggles and how yeah. some wizards even like view them as creatures. Yeah, I mean in and of itself it's ironic because you would think that they would consider themselves I mean at least close to equal. Yeah. But because they have this extra special power, well now they're so much farther above muggles. Yeah, and you see this in and not every wizard of course, which is what we're talking about, but a lot of higher status wizards view themselves as superior. And of course, a lot of the time it's those people who aren't thinking of others um, mm-hmm. as equal to them who have kind of um, not as great of moral um, guides. Yeah. Um, which is super interesting. Um, and so throughout in the magical world, we have these enormous tensions that's caused by the division between groups. Um, and so students in your class can connect um the groups of beasts in series to actual marginalized groups in today's society and see the connection between how wizards view and treat these creatures and how dominant culture views and treats minorities. And so, for example, um, some people think that goblins in the series represent Jews because they're money handlers. Um, Centers are compared to Native Americans because of their spiritual beliefs and the fact that they live in the forest and have been exiled from um, certain areas of wizarding society. Um, House elves have been compared to African slaves, and werewolves have been compared to individuals who have HIV or AIDS. Um, So it's super interesting to look into that and see what comparisons um, you and your students might find. Um, And yeah, so we have these two main werewolves in the story who um, show two very different archetypes Mm -hmm. of the werewolf and two very different moralities within that group. So we find out that there is a whole society of werewolves, but the main two that we meet are Remus Lupin and Fenrir Greyback. And Remus Lupin um, is 
the, the archetype of a benevolent werewolf. Um, we find out that he's poor, he accepts all students, and he acts as an advisor to Harry and other students. And so he is very likable and he's a sympathetic character. Um, however, when he's transformed, he loses his human consciousness and can be savage. Mm-hmm. So that's like even within just that character, we have this um, it's almost like moral gray area. Yeah. Like, I mean, within a person, no one is all good and all bad. No. Um, and then we have um, Greyback, who's um, an antithesis to Lupin, and he shows this unbridled violence, um, has no redeeming qualities, and he stands for a moral code that supports vengeance, terror, and even cannibalistic acts. Um, and he, this is demonstrated by his desire to attack and bite young children. And it's very creepy how you find out later in the series that Greyback, before he transforms, he positions himself by a child he wants to attack. And when he's recruited by Voldemort, that is used as a um, scare tactic and punishment for parents who he wants to use or oppress. He will say, if you know you don't do what I want, then Greyback is going to attack your children. And then you're going to have like a werewolf child or maybe a dead child. Yeah. Um, and so it's very creepy. But even before Voldemort was in power, Greyback was doing that all on his own. Yeah, well, and I mean, (laughs) that's really interesting because it's no person is all good or all bad, but man, this guy, there's nothing good about him so far. Yeah, and I mean, and I think in literature, it's simplified. Yeah. It's oversimplified because you have to have, I mean, and you see this on a much simpler level, just with the houses in Harry Potter, how right when they get to Hogwarts, they're immediately split up and kind of pitted against each other oh and you yeah. have these characters throughout who are like but we need inter-house unity if we all work together and didn't exclude one another there wouldn't be this uncomfortable tension especially between Slytherin and the other houses because everyone sees Slytherin as like the bad house mm-hmm. but you see in all these characters they all have traits yeah. that can fit into any of the houses it's just what they choose to focus their energy on well it kind of separates them yeah that's the huge thing though I mean when Harry is you know, when the sorting hat is on Harry, all he keeps saying is not Slytherin, not Slytherin. But the sorting hat says you have the potentials to be mm-hmm. a really good member of Slytherin. Yeah. And he actually uh, what it says is you can be great. Yeah. And I think Harry, uh, what's funny is Harry has had all this power thrust upon him mm-hmm. and he doesn't really want it. No. And I think that's part of why Slytherin doesn't appeal to him, because people who fit well in Slytherin, they want power. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do. But it's that it's that uh that view that we all have. Mm-hmm. That very the stereotypes. That's the word I'm yeah. looking for. Yeah. The stereotypes that each house is a part of. Mm-hmm. You know? Um I mean even even in regular society when you talk to people, I mean, I don't know about you, but my friends had me pegged from the time they met me. They knew exactly which house I would belong to if I took the quiz. And it's just, like, it's really interesting that there are these stereotypical behaviors that each house holds. Mm -hmm. But as a result, it creates problems. It creates division, yeah. And that's on a small level, like, we're talking about. And, like, just to stay on the topic of the houses for another minute, um, Slytherin is, everyone is like, oh, you don't want to be in Slytherin more bad. Witches and wizards have come Mm -hmm. out of that house than any other. And I think... um, it's not that Slytherin creates bad people. It's that a lot of the time people who have some 
maybe inherent badness. And again, like just saying that is such an oversimplification, but there are people who have, um, not as good of moral codes Mm -hmm. and they are likely drawn to power. Yeah. And this actually makes me think right now about police brutality Hmm. um, and how a lot of people you hear from some groups like, oh, police officers are all bad. Yeah. Which isn't true at all. But unfortunately, it is a system of power. Mm -hmm. If you go into the police force, you get a very different kind of power than a lot of jobs hold. Um, And so some people who might have um, moral, like, bad moral codes Mm -hmm. they seek like a dangerous kind of power and so they go into that job I think also a huge part of it though is representation as well Mm -hmm. when you think about well more bad wizards have come out of Slytherin what about all the good ones though right and you don't even think about that no and that's like same with that's why it makes me think of the police because of course we know there are tons of people who want to be police officers because they want to help um but we don't always I mean especially when there's issues with people dying mm-hmm. of course we're focusing on the bad and of course I'm not in any way like excusing police officers no. who make bad choices no, not at all but the focus is on like the bad yeah it absolutely is yeah um was there anything else you want to add to that no I don't think so oh I did want to say one thing um people often cite Horace Slughorn as an example of like what a Slytherin can be mm. he craved power but he just wanted to surround himself by people who he could train to be great, but in a positive way. Like he, he has this club at school, which is like a little problematic, Mm -hmm. but out of it comes um, famous Quidditch players and people who go into the ministry and do great things that way. It's not just people who end up being death eaters. It's a different system of power. Yeah. Um, So I think that's super interesting. Um, yeah, so we were we were talking about Greyback and um, what he does leading up to the full moon, and we see this direct contrast between him and Lupin in this because Lupin, um, what he used to do when he was a child, um, and he first started attending Hogwarts, he was worried he wouldn't be able to attend because um, of the like prejudice against werewolves and the fact that if he's living in a dormitory, he could attack anyone if he transforms and Dumbledore was headmaster at the time. And he said, no, like you can come and we're actually going to um, plant a tree for you. He plants the whopping willow over a tunnel that leads to a safe place where Lupin can go and transform and not hurt anyone else. And Dumbledore immediately is very accepting of him and doesn't judge him based on his status as a werewolf. And, um, then later, um, when the Harry Potter series is actually taking place, um, a potion has been invented that werewolves can drink and it makes them safe. So even though they transform, they keep their human consciousness. And so Lupin starts taking that and um, he takes these conscious steps to protect the students and the other res- residents of Hogwarts, whereas Greyback is positioning himself near the children he plans to attack. Um, and his condition is weaponized, whereas Lupin, um, does his best to not, um, support the stereotypes about werewolves. Um, and that's just what you were talking about. We have, um, these two werewolves living in the same society, um, but they, they demonstrate the power of choice in their situation because they have vastly different approaches to handling their afflictions. Mm -hmm. Um, and Lupin challenges society's stereotypes by becoming a teacher and working with children. And Greyback embraces these stereotypes and attacks them. Yeah, well, and it's like you said, it's 
it's not about who you are. It's about what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's, I can't, I can't say it any better than that, you know? Um, Lup- and Lupin shows that. It's not about this quote-unquote beast that lurks inside of him. It's about how you handle it. And mm-hmm. it's about what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Greyback positions himself near children to hurt them and hurt the their parents. You know, it's not about wanting to do anything productive. It's about wanting to harm somebody versus Lupin. He doesn't want that. So it really, it's not about what you contain. It's about how you use it. Yeah, exactly. And I also do wonder, and we never really see this in the the series, but I wonder if Greyback uses the fact that he's a werewolf as an excuse for his behavior. Mm. When we see in Lupin that you can be a werewolf and be a good person. Mm -hmm. You don't have to let that define you. No. Um, And so I think that's really interesting. And then here, um, students can connect um, to society stereotypes and expectations of members of marginalized groups, because often dominant culture unfairly portrays these groups. Um, For instance, people of color, people with mental illnesses are thought to be dangerous and threats to the well-being of society as a whole, when that's not true at all. Mm -mm. And so at best, this creates mistrust of members of these groups, and at worst, it creates this prejudicial bias and actions against them. So if people in these marginalized groups don't fit stereotypes, they're still excluded because society has this implicit bias. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's explicit, but whether we know it or not, we all know how society defines these groups, how dominant culture tells us to think about these groups. Absolutely. And um, if they do fit stereotypes, like if they, members of these groups get angry and fed up and decide to just like, hey, I'm going to let this stereotype define me because that's what society expects of me, then it merely confirms the bias of the social majority. And Mm -hmm. so it's really, I mean, there's no winning for these groups, unfortunately. No. Um, It has to be a personal a personal win. Right, exactly. You, you can't be fighting for the society, you know, right. like fighting against them and to try to prove yourself. You have to prove yourself to you. Yeah, and that is which important. Which is unfortunate. Right, and it is, and that's why, I mean, society needs to change. Yes. Is, like, the big thing here is that, like, um, but in the meantime, like you're saying, it does need to be, like, a personal win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, this discussion is coming from two people who are in mostly privileged positions. Very. So if we're we hope we're not oversimplifying this and like leaving things out, which like I'm sure we are, but that's not our intention at all. No, we're just discussing ways that you can connect this to students. Um, We're not trying to in any way, like say like, Oh, it's just that simple. Society needs to change. We know it's not simple. And that's why it's important to talk about this stuff. Well, and your students can also bring so much more to this than Mm -hmm. we could, you know, especially those students that are part of these marginalized groups um, and deal with this on a day-to-day basis, you know, because the two of us don't doesn't, you know, doesn't mean that they won't. And Mm -hmm. um, because we may miss something doesn't mean that they're not going to bring something to the table that is so important to discuss and really hone in on. Um, There's so much more to this. Yeah. Um, but back to just like a, a little bit more of a simplified discussion, understanding Lupin and Greyback's individual responses mm-hmm. to society, um, can really help students empathize with the, with the social minorities that they encounter in their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole like, so what, why does all of this matter when you're having this discussion with students is that it's important to recognize and to teach that other figures threaten dominant social structure, which is why dominant culture marginalizes and even demonizes them. Mm -hmm. 
because the fact that they're different and could have power if they weren't oppressed is a threat to Mm -hmm. the social structure that prioritizes and privileges certain groups of people. Yeah. Um, And so, and I mean, we see this, this irony in Harry Potter that Lupin, um, who is viewed by most people as a monster, shows a better sense of moral and character judgment than many supposed moral authorities in the series. For example, um, Cornelius Fudge is the minister of magic. He's supposed to be um, the utmost, like, moral authority. He's in charge of the entire, like, law, um, legal system there. Um, and he, um, is firmly convinced of the Malfoy family's good nature, um, despite that they are rude and self-important people who view muggle-borns and creatures as far beneath their status and notice. And the Malfoys treat everyone with disrespect except those who they can gain power and status from, like the Minister of Magic and even Lord Voldemort. Um, And so Fudge totally falls for their performance and assumes that the Malfoys are good just because they have money and status, even though they have maintained and gained gained these through immoral means. Meanwhile, Fudge views um, Lupin and then Rubeus Haggard, who is half giant, um, as like bad and he demonizes them. Um, even though Lupin treats everyone with respect, even his inferiors, which is really important to know, like um, the Malfoys just treat their superiors or yeah, really like people who are superior to them with respect. Um, And then there are all these characters who are um, in a simplified way, morally good. Yeah. Um, They treat their inferiors with respect as well. And that's really important. And then Hagrid, despite being half giant is one of the most caring and least biased characters in the whole series. And he sees good in everyone, even creatures who like are truly like horrific. Like he loves dragons. He loves giant spiders. Oh my gosh. Um, Who, even though the spiders can talk, their moral code is very different than like a human's would be. Oh, very. Yeah. Um, And Hagrid has like a respectful relationship with the centaurs in the forest, even though he's not a part of that group. And so you see um, these characters challenge social expectations and they um, teach tolerance of quote unquote beasts like themselves. They present a threat to institutions like the minister, the Ministry of Magic, who just want to keep all those groups down. Mm-hmm. Like if people realize that they are good and not monsters, then suddenly the entire social structure is upended. Yeah. Um. And then, so once your students see um, the division that's caused by the group in power and how it actually causes further destruction in times of war and actual danger they can likely see a presence of this in their own society. So, for example, um, we talked about how Fudge um, has oppressed and discredited groups like werewolves. It actually supports Voldemort, who is like the true evil in the whole series. It supports his regime because we later find out this whole group of werewolves has been recruited by Greyback to support Lord Voldemort. So because the ministry has oppressed them, they go to the truly bad side. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, that's upholding society's expectations. They're like, well, hey, society thinks I'm evil. I'm going to go to this side that is going to give me power mm-hmm. for, you know, eating people and turning other people into werewolves. Yeah. Might as well do what they think I'm going to do and maybe, and I'll benefit from it. Exactly. Versus like, being subdued. Yes, exactly. Um, And, uh, 
you know, the werewolves have been banished to the outskirts of society. And so that's their only way of getting back in. They get into the society of Lord Voldemort. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they become, and then similarly, goblins kind of like stay out of it. They say like they stay out of the wizarding war, but they will, some of them go to Lord Voldemort's side and then giants, um, um, all of them that are left um, go to Lord Voldemort's side. And then these groups that they've oppressed actually become a larger threat mm-hmm. in the end to the ministry. Absolutely. Um, and they're more likely to turn against them in times of social turmoil because, like we said, they've just been oppressed. Um, and so dominant society thinks, and you see this in Harry Potter and in the real world, that um, many separate groups, well, and this is true, many separate groups don't have the same impact as a whole society um, regardless of race, gender, and faith, does standing together. So um, students should ask themselves, like, where can we overcome division and where can we stand together to fight violence and ignorance, like these true evils in the world? Because if we're all separate, then we can't stand up and fight the things that are really bad. Mm-hmm. If we're all separate, we have no power. But if we came together, we would have more power. And that's why dominant culture wants to keep all these groups divided. Yeah. Because then they're not as much of a threat to them. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That coming together is going to create something totally different, you know? And if they're divided, like you said, if they're divided, they're not strong enough. So. Yeah. And then so one thing we mentioned at the beginning with the um, Newt Scamander quotation, he talks about how some extremists in the lizarding world want to classify muggles as beasts. Um, And this is really interesting because even within wizards, just the wizarding group, we have these distinct class separations. We have purebloods, mm-hmm. we have halfbloods, and we have muggleborns. And purebloods think they are the best yes, because they came from just all wizard blood, and they think that somehow gives them more power. Mm-hmm. However, we know that's not true because Hermione Granger is the best witch in her year, and she's a muggleborn. Same with Harry's mother. Muggleborn was an extremely powerful witch. Voldemort actually tried to recruit her mm-hmm. when he was gaining power. Because she was such a good witch, despite being Muggle-born. And I think that's so interesting to think about because Voldemort's regime is built on rejecting Muggles and rejecting Muggle-borns yep. and putting them at the bottom of society. However, he sought to recruit them in the past. Yeah. Um, sorry, were you going to say something? No. Mm, no. Um, <laughs> it went out of my head, so okay, let me know. more. <laughs> let me know if it comes to you. Um, so we have these clear um, like class divisions, like I was talking about. And it's interesting how you see in the muggle-born people um, how those without privilege tend to automatically understand others without it, even if they are in different marginalized groups. And there's this one quotation from Hermione that I wanted to talk about. Um, When we find out that Hagrid is half-giant and it's publicized in the news, she says, but honestly, all this hysteria about giants, they can't all be horrible. It's the same sort of prejudice that people have towards werewolves. It's just bigotry, isn't it? And I think it's so, like, the word all, they can't all be horrible, is italicized in the novel. And that's exactly what we have been talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no all good and all bad in any group. Um, And when the media and the ministry in Harry Potter, and then you see this in, like, power structures like the media and the government um, in our world demonize an entire group it's never true mm-hmm. but we look we, we look at an entire group of people and we expect that they're all going to be bad mm-hmm. um, and Hermione as a muggle-born she comes from a less privileged group and she can see um, 
that not everyone is bad um, yeah. in a group like Giants. And she is likely, like, people are more open-minded when they themselves are persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why you see a lot of it in our world. And this is totally an overgeneralization, but I think you see this a lot, but just not in everyone. People who come from really privileged backgrounds have a harder time understanding what it's like to not have privilege and sometimes don't even believe that privilege exists. Yeah. Because that's just been their world. And like, again, same with like, like we can't say that those people are evil or bad because it could just be ignorance. Yeah. They just don't know because their world has always been what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you see um, these groups that have less privilege of course, they completely understand it because they live it. Yeah, they see it. I mean, it's <laughs> they're not going to think that privilege doesn't exist when they see what they have to do and what other people have to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like we said, you know, it's not about who you are and what's inside. It's about what you do with it. But it, the same thing goes with something like ignorance. You know, if you continue to stay in your your ignorance and continue to hold on to it and don't do anything about it, then, yeah, that's the problem. But if you if you decide to use it and learn from it um, and try to grow from it and then decide to help people because of it, you know, then that's different. Mm -hmm. So, like you said, it's not about all good or all bad people. It's it's how we deal with it Mm -hmm. and how we deal with whatever our problem is, whether it's inherently evil or not, which Mm -hmm. I don't think exists but um you know it it is one of those things it's about how we react to a situation and when especially when confronted with something that makes us uncomfortable yeah and that's such an important thing to talk about with students because like we said when we started this like these kind of discussions will be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. especially when you try to move from the text to the students lives yes um and it's important to say like just because you come from a place of privilege, that doesn't mean you're not bad. If you never understood the concept of privilege before and you realize like you have maybe like accidentally throughout your life without realizing it oppressed others because of your privilege, that doesn't make you a bad person because you don't know. Mm-hmm. But once you learn and recognize that, it's your actions that follow. Yes. That that really make an impact. Yes. Um, and when you were saying all that, what came to my mind, a really good example of that type of person is Ron Weasley. Mm. In the series, he is a pureblood. And even though he is oppressed in other ways, like his family are um, – muggle-born sympathizers they believe that all kind of classes of wizards are equal he is still very prejudiced against groups like giants like even when they find out about Hagrid even though he's like oh I know Hagrid's good but giants are still vicious I know that um and we see this when um Hermione is trying to campaign for house elf rights they're essentially slaves and she's campaigning for like better working conditions and wages for them Ron is like that's ridiculous like they love what they do. They're mm. happy. And I mean, that goes along with like the brainwashing yeah. of oppressed groups like that. Like, of course, they have lived their whole lives serving. So they think that that is what expect that's what's expected of them. And that's what they need to do and want to do. Yeah. When really you have um, anomalies like Dobby, the house elf, yeah. who um, once he experiences freedom, he's like, I love this. Yeah. Um, and so Ron initially when Hermione is campaigning for house elf rights is like, that's ridiculous. Like they're fine. Um, and there's even a great quotation and I don't know it word for word, but Hermione is like, it's people like you, Ron, who uphold like unjust systems because you're too like, I don't know, ignorant to like realize mm-hmm. that it's unjust. 
And then you see at the end of the series, Ron does learn and grow from mm-hmm. that ignorance. And during the Battle of Hogwarts, he wants to free the house elves and mm-hmm. tell them to get out of there. He doesn't want them forced to stay in the castle where there's danger. Yeah. And so you do, you see characters like that in Harry Potter and there are people in the real world all the time who come from a place of ignorance and learn and recognize and they can grow from that. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it's not easy. Like for everyone, it's a long process, but it's possible. It is possible. Um, You just... You have to be willing to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to want to work and to do it and to change mm-hmm. and to create change. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not, if you don't want to or you're not willing to put the effort in, then nothing's ever going to change. And if you are a person who benefits from the power structure and the system in place, like, of course, it's hard to let that go. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, I think when we were talking about like um, the word evil and how in the Harry Potter series, like Voldemort is evil mm-hmm. um, and there's no like denying that. And we we hear talk in our world of like evil corporations. Mm-hmm. And we think it's funny that it's centered around that. It's centered around a group of people, not one person. Mm-hmm. Because like, I mean, a quote unquote evil corporation is... Um, it, it benefits from the power structure. And mm-hmm. so all those people functioning together as an organization, which like is a hierarchy in itself of people. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, like that comes across as evil because I mean, it's so many people all like creating this power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where I was trying to go with this was, so if you are a person who benefits from the power structure in place, it can be hard to let that go, but it's important for the benefit of society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, it's it's so such an oversimplification to say, but um, it like it's possible. I think eventually, eventually in our world, hopefully, gosh, like I hope um, that someday society can function without oppressing certain groups in yeah. order to keep itself functioning you know it doesn't have to function the way it is now and this segues really well into our kind of conclusion here like of course it's easy to demonize already marginalized groups and it's easy to take one example of a bad person and apply it to an entire group of people however we see in harry potter that jk rowling purposely provides examples of both good and bad in all groups even wizards um, and there's good and bad in everyone, and it's the path one chooses to follow that determines what kind of person one is. Um, and sometimes this path and one's character fluctuates. Um, and Dumbledore echoes this notion when he says, it matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time. It doesn't matter what society calls you. You can overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, society sometimes, like, does so much that it's near impossible to do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, you hope you can always stay true to yourself inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that can happen for everyone. Um, and so Voldemort and dictators everywhere exert division among the lowest status of people to keep themselves in power. And this ideology is evident in the wizarding world and society today. Um, And social change arises from groups overcoming their division and joining together to overpower the group that oppresses them. And um, this doesn't have to be, like, it's that overpower. Like, if the people in the oppressive group were to realize and acknowledge what they're doing and stop benefiting from the system of power that they've created, 
um, and try for more equity, then there wouldn't have to be any overpowering. Yeah. But right now that's, it seems like this bubble of dominant culture and kind of ignorance, but also kind of ignoring the fact and like brushing it under the rug that they are oppression, oppressing people. Um, it feels like, uh, the rest of society has to join together and overpower them. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that those people then have to be oppressed. We don't have to flip it. We need to find some way to create equity and equality in different ways. Yeah. Um, and so when you're talking with this about students, you can look at the marginalized groups in Harry Potter that demonstrate that drive for social change um, that our world should take example from. Yeah, absolutely. There's so, I mean, there's so much in this. And J.K. Rowling really does a great job of opening your eyes in a way that you don't really realize that your eyes are being opened mm -hmm. until you dig into it. And there's so much to do with it. And it really does. I mean, like we've been doing, it brings up conversations, you know, and it brings up topics that might be a little bit difficult and a little bit uncomfortable, but they're conversations that are necessary to have. And students bring more than we think, mm -hmm. you know, it's really easy to brush it aside, but we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Students have so many experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, even at a young age, mm -hmm. they, they have learned and lived a lot more than we may realize. Yeah. And so they may have thoughts and ideas about how to do this. You yeah. know, I mean, our, our students are our next generation. They are the generation that is going to continue to bring about change. Yeah. And I mean, look at Harry Potter. Like by the time he was 17, he literally saved the wiz wizarding world. Mm -hmm. We're going to have students who do that. Yeah. They're going to so do incredible things. Yeah. Um, and then one thing I wanted to know is I actually saw a study kind of recently that said people who read Harry Potter um, are kinder and more open minded. Hmm. And I think that this um, like what you were saying, like you sometimes don't even realize that um, there are all these messages laced into Harry Potter. Yeah. That show us um, about power and marginalization and all these important things that we see in our world too. I mean, of course, when I was a kid reading Harry Potter, I didn't see any of that. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like as soon as I started learning about privilege and that kind of stuff in my own world, I was pretty ready to accept it. And I'm not going to give all the credit to Harry Potter for that. But <laughs> at the same time, like I think it, I can easily see how that influences young minds. If they read Harry Potter, they're like, of course, no group of people is all good or all bad. Yeah. No group of whatever is all good or all bad. And they, um, I think this is just such a solid series to make that transition from um, what's going on in the text to what's going on in our world. Yeah. And it's not something that, you know, you want to try to brush aside. A series like this is really easy to be like, oh, whatever, that young adult stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's so much. There's yeah. so much in it. It's such a, ri a rich piece of literature. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm just waiting for like a hundred years from now when Harry Potter is like Shakespeare and all my knowledge <laughs> will be like renowned and respected. I'll be like the top most Harry Potter expert <laughs> right People now. People will look to you. <laughs> I know right now it's just kind of like sad and nerdy, but someday <laughs> I will be a scholar. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we will, we can't wait to go on another adventure. Yeah. Who knows where it'll take us. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.